On Friday evening, I was stirred from my half-asleep posture on the sofa by a voice asking for help. There was I watching Ben-Hur, as you always have to on these weekends, don't you? She hates these classic movies. I love them, but hey, I was disturbed from my posture by a voice asking for help, and it was Rosie. She was doing her jigsaw puzzle at the table, and she said, can you help me, Dad? Well, I'm not a great fan of jigsaw puzzles. I just don't have the patience for them. I really don't. It was only 500 pieces, so I thought, go on then, I'll, I'll help. I made my way to the table. There she was, busy doing the, you know, the exciting bits of the jigsaw where there's lots going on. There was no, no attempt to do the blue bits or the green bits that are all the same colour, but the exciting bits. Now, that's not how I do a jigsaw either. So I immediately I said, oh, come on, you need to do the edges. She was ruining my help within one minute of asking for it. Do you know, I don't like them, but, you know, I'll push on to the end because I want to see the satisfaction of the final picture. I think that first Easter day was like a jigsaw puzzle. The events started to unravel, but the picture wasn't clear. It wasn't clear from the start. Bit by bit, something was added. In the early hours, Mary Magdalene had made her way to the grave where Jesus' body had been put. She was the last to leave the cross on the Friday, and here she is, the first person to come to the grave after the Sabbath. John doesn't tell us why she went there. There's no reason. Other gospel writers talk about women going to take spices, but John doesn't tell us that. There's no mention of that. Perhaps she'd just gone to continue her mourning at the graveside. But one thing we do know, that in her mind, the picture she had was of death. That was the picture she had. Unlike many other people, she had seen Jesus die. She'd stood at the cross. When other disciples had fled, when they didn't want to be anywhere near it, she was there. She was there to the very end. She had seen him die. She'd seen the soldiers plunge the spear into his side. She knew he was dead. And so therefore, the picture in her mind was that of death. She went to the grave expecting to find the dead. She came to honour a dead man. John records in verse 20, a very important little part. If you've got your scripture there and you're looking at it, look at, verse 20, uh, look at the first verse in, in chapter 20. He says that it was dark. Nobody else mentions that. John says it was still dark. And you know, if you were Jewish, reading John's gospel, steeped in the scriptures, you would know John's description immediately, and it would have resonated with the story of creation that are told in the opening chapters of Genesis. You know the story? Darkness covered the face of the earth, and then God says, let there be light. John was hammering home the darkness. It was significant for him. Darkness and light were very symbolic for John. On Friday, we read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became God. What else does John talk about in chapter... He talks about the light coming into the world. 
See, darkness and light were very symbolic for John, as is creation. As she approaches the tomb, Mary Magdalene can clearly see that the stone covering's been removed. And for her, there can only be one reason for this. Grave robbers. I discovered that grave robbing was quite common in biblical days. It was quite a, a good way of getting a bit of extra money. If you knew that somebody had been buried and you were a burglar, it was a good thing to do was to try and get in the grave because when people were buried, their treasures were buried with them. So grave robbing was really popular. And so for her, seeing this stone gone, it was obvious what had gone on. Oh no, we've had grave robbers. But she doesn't go in to check. Immediately she runs, she runs back into town to fetch Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved. And that, that person recognized by most biblical scholars is John the Evangelist. What a choice of two disciples. She chooses Peter and John. Now, John, actually, was with her till the very end on that Good Friday. If you read the, the, the scripture, when other disciples read, John doesn't. John stays with the women. He watched the very end. As for Peter, well, we know what happened there. Interesting, isn't it, that these two are chosen the faithful and the failure. Actually, unknowingly, she reminds us that in God's sight, there's room for both, isn't there? In God's sight, there's room for both. And I certainly know at times in my life when I've been the faithful. But I certainly know at times in my life when I've been the failure. And actually for her, when she went to find two people, she chose these two. And so on hearing the news, the two of them run to the tomb as fast as they can. This wasn't any casual jog. This was a full-on sprint. John arrives first. He can see the grave clothes, but he doesn't go in. Perhaps the sight of the grave clothes was enough for him to confirm Mary's assumption, her thesis, that the body had been stolen. Oh, God, yeah, she's right. Peter, on the other hand, good old Peter, bang, in he goes, no hesitation. He's looking to find out what is happening. It's interesting, if you read the Gospel writer, John doesn't suggest that the grave clothes were strewn everywhere. He makes a, a point in telling us that things were in order. They were neatly folded. I don't know about you, but if that was burglars, they must have been the neatest burglars that they've been known to man. I've not ever had our house broken into, but I've been there when people have. People who go robbing things don't leave things nice and tidy, do they? They don't go through your bedroom to find your jewellery and turf out all the drawers and then decide at the end, tell you what, before we go, we better put everything back again. But that's exactly what was happening here. Everything was hunky-dory. It didn't make sense. If they, if they were stealing the body as well, why leave the grave clothes? What was he actually wearing if they did? 
have thought they'd have just picked up everything and gone with the lot. But they don't. The grave clothes are left behind. Don't forget as well that actually the process of preparing a body for burial involves embalming, it involves wrapping it in myrrh, bandages, myrrh again. That's quite a sticky mess. But we don't read, oh, Peter walked in and found a sticky mess. We found order. And then we read that the beloved disciple went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I've got a question. And it's one that puzzles me. What did he believe? Because John's gospel actually tells us they didn't understand. So it can't be that he believed in the resurrection. And if he did believe at that point in the resurrection, what did they then do? They went home. They just turned around and they went home. No kind of excitement, no kind of joy, no exuberance. They just went home. Didn't make sense. I'm more inclined to believe or to think that when it said he believed, he actually believed what Mary had said that the body had been stolen. Yeah, she's right, the body's gone, it's been stolen. Why else would there have been such an underwhelming response from him? I do find this quite wretched and quite something. They've gone to a tomb, they've found the body gone, and yet the empty tomb doesn't seem to make a difference for them whatsoever. They just go home. Do you know what? They're not alone. There are people for whom the empty tomb doesn't make a blind bit of difference. Why did they not investigate further? Again, they're not alone. For many, the story of Jesus just ends with the crucifixion and the burial. They don't want to investigate any further what it means for them. Mystified that they seem to be reluctant to want to explore or even find out more. And what about the chivalry? These two men were really chivalrous men there, weren't they? She'd run to them in, in grief and distress and sorrow, wanting them to come, and she's in tears. There's no other, oh, can we help you? I'm really sorry, but oh, this is awful. No, they just leave her there, and they go home. Really chivalrous guys, that was. We'll never know why she chose to stay and didn't go back with them. Have you noticed there's a lot of running going on in this story? Running here, running there, running here, running there. Yet when Mary becomes still, on her own, outside the empty tomb, when the commotion subsides, then she sees the risen Christ. Isn't there an important lesson here about 
coming to God in stillness because that's how you'll find him. Mary's grief is immense and she then manages to summon up enough courage to peer into the tomb but instead of grave clothes she doesn't see grave clothes she sees two angelic figures and notice that doesn't frighten her in any way shape or form that would have terrified me seeing something like but no not her she knows that moments earlier there was no one in there because Peter had been inside. But now there's two visitors. They ask her why she's crying, who she's looking for. Yet her response is still, somebody's stolen the body. Do you know where it is? This is what she's got in her head. Somebody's stolen the body. Then she turns around. Jesus is standing there. She doesn't recognize him either. And he asks the same questions that the angel asks. Now, that might be an obvious question. Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? I love the Bishop of York, Stephen Cottrell. He remarks on this question. He says, it's the most profound question in the world. Who are you looking for? I mean, what are you really looking for? What is it that you seek? Whom will you follow? How will you set the compass for your life? Do you know, when you hear it like that, that's a cracking question, isn't it? And it, perhaps it's a good question for us all to ask today. And yet in the rawness of her humanity, Jesus comes alongside her. And she didn't recognize him. Perhaps it's because she wasn't expecting it. You know, like Mary, I often wonder if the Lord sometimes communicates with me in ways or forms that I don't expect, and I therefore fail to notice. How many things am I missing out on God because he's talking to me in a way that I'm not expecting, and I, I just miss it? Mary thinks he's the gardener. And again, this is significant from John's point of view. So we deduce that the garden or the tomb is in a garden. Earlier we saw that John mentions it's dark and how that would have resonated with the story at the beginning of creation in Genesis when darkness covered the earth. Well, in Genesis, we also encounter another gardener, don't we? Adam, the first gardener, put there to tend to it and look after it. And so by using this illustration of the garden, John's telling us that in Christ, there's a new gardener and a new creation. Here's the second Adam inviting us to share his risen, transformed life. And it was when he spoke her name, she recognized him and understood that he had risen. And then she would be transformed the darkness was no longer and she would be the one to tell us that the darkness had not overcome the light that was amongst us it tried but it hadn't the story begins in darkness sorrow confusion and from this the good news emerges from the shadows, the Saviour comes with new life. Like a jigsaw, the picture was becoming clear. 
she came expecting to find the dead. She came looking for a body. And now she gives up this idea of death. And she comes with news of a body in a grave and of new life given where it was not looked for, where it was not expected. And actually she tells us how faith begins. Faith begins when we surrender what we think we know, when we have nothing, and when we star, stare wide-eyed at the God who calls us by name. And at that moment of surrender, new faith begins. We're just like her. We come to that tomb again. We come to that tomb and we just bring all the assumptions we have, all the ideas we have, and we just put them aside. And when we put them aside, then we see life. Just as she did. In that moment of realization, she desperately wants to embrace Jesus and stay with him, but instead, he has something else for her. Because this wasn't, this, this, this wasn't resuscitation, it was resurrection. This wasn't him just coming back to be as he was before. No, 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 no. This was new. This wasn't a going back. This was a going forward to something new. And so rather than cling on, he says to her, I need you to go. I need you to go and tell. David Rosebury says this in one of his books, and I'll leave you with this little thought. Every person who encounters Jesus or the announcing angels was set right and sent out. And when you think about it, on that day of resurrection, everybody that encountered Jesus or the angels was set right in their faith, set right about their doubts, their worries, their fears, their depression. They were set right. They were put right. And then they were sent out to live it and proclaim it. That's the same for us. Today, we can know the risen Christ, and that's whom we're sent out to proclaim. Giving up death. Over this Lent period, we've looked at this theme of giving up. We looked at giving up control, giving up status, giving up expectation, giving up enemies, giving up popularity. On Monday, Thursday, giving up guilt. On Friday, it was giving up life. Well, today, it's giving up death. And today, we can know for ourselves the life in all its abundance that Christ can give. How will you respond? How will you take in that new life? And what difference will it make for you? Who is it you're looking for? Who is it you're seeking? And what will you do with it when you find him? Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to the end of our day today, we thank you for the glorious truth of the resurrection. We thank you that you took disciples and that you took all their confusion and that you made it so to the point that they could see the fact that you'd risen from the dead. And at times, we don't understand. We don't understand how it all happened. 
But in beautiful love, you just take us to that point where you realize you're alive. So speak to us today. Call us by name. And just make us aware today that you are alive. And may you challenge us with that question. Who is it we're seeking? Who is it we're looking for? And may in you, we find the answer. Amen.